Ulterior. Yo, like 15 people I know were at Body Snatcher last week over here, and I, I, I kind of regret missing out. I should have pulled up. That's my fault. But I will be at Fifer King this weekend, so if you see me there, say what's up, I like your boy, or ignore me, whichever one works. And yeah, I'm just going to shut up now because there really, for real, is a lot to get through this week. I say that every week, but like uh, this episode, I'm going to be looking at new singles from 93 Feet of Smoke, Fifer and Autopsy, If I Were You, and a couple of others I want to get through. And then brand new records by Meet Me at the Altar, Periphery, Story of the Year, Maybe Someday, For the Fallen Dreams, and Judiciary. So yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for tapping in and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Not music related, but I think the best thing that came from any kind of social media discourse over the last couple days was the video of Moist Critical showing uh, Sneeko what mags are in comparison to clips and just how ridiculous that was. The whole watch my clips bullshit. I've never seen anything like it before. That was fucking beast. Sometime last week, Panic at the Disco played his final show ever and... That set list. Bro, what the fuck? Like, for real, for real, even if you want to push your new shit out, being so, like, tone deaf to what people would care to listen to for your final show ever, that is some all-time shambolic bullshit on Brendan's end. Bro played fucking High Hopes as the closer. He ended his shit on High Hopes. Are you fucking for real, dog? He had I Write Sins, like, third to last. I think Victorious and then High Hopes were above it. In the middle of the set list, he played Viva Las Vengeance in its entirety. The same Viva Las Vengeance that was, like, essentially universally panned by everybody who listened to it. It is one of the just most fucking atrocious and garbage-ass set lists I've ever seen, especially for what's meant to be a farewell event, and all I'm saying is that if I was there, Brody wouldn't have even been able to get off one fucking lyric from that record. I would have just been there heckling him into playing New Perspective on loop for however long the duration of Evil Lost Vengeance is instead. So yeah, Brendan, if you ever come back, read the room. For real, for real. Obviously creative freedom and all that shit, but still, my point stands. Um, yeah, so, Panic of Disco did not hoop, but every single artist I'm going to talk about today largely did hoop last week. Uh, number one ranked single for the week came from 93 Feet of Smoke, and it is called Conversations. The most recent thing that I remembered hearing from 93 Feet of Smoke prior to Conversations was his album from last year called Good Grief, and I didn't review it on here, but I did listen to it later on. Pretty solid overall. Um, it, it lied mostly in like the emo hip-hop realm, and I thought 93 Feet of Smoke uh, ventured that avenue really, really well. Listening to Conversations, though, I feel like 
this specific brand of pop punk slash post hardcore, whatever you really want to label it as, this is his calling. This is what Brody was meant to be doing. This song fucking rules. It is admittedly like super simplistic in its approach and delivery and how it goes about crafting this kind of a song, but I look at it as more than just you know, another example of a hip hop artist venturing into pop punk. Because while the song largely is structured like a pop punk track, the chorus, to me at least, is pulled like straight from 2000s post hardcore. Just the way he sounds, the melody, the style of it, everything speaks to what it is that I look for in that genre. And for that reason, I felt confident and comfortable in putting this song on a pedestal above almost everything else from last week. Um, it, it's just really, really effective, really sick, really catchy. I love this sound for Night Through Fear Smoke, and uh, I am really excited for his future if this is more along the lines of what he's going to be doing from now on. Fit for an Autopsy have a collaborative project coming up soon, and they put out a brand new single from it. It is called Hellions. So the aforementioned project is The Aggression Sessions and is releasing April 7th. It involves three artists, Fit for an Autopsy, Thyroid is Murder, and Malevolence. Um, it has six songs on it. It's a mixture of new material from all bands and then covers by them. Um, what Fit for an Autopsy did here on Hellions, I somehow feel it is a step forward from what they were doing on Oh With Future Holds, which is their album from back in January of last year. An album that I really did enjoy, and even if I didn't mention it much throughout the year on this show or give it any kind of uh, like accolade in the year-end stuff, I did enjoy it. I really, really did. But Hellions is like just on another fucking level. I listen to this song, and I feel like there is this rejuvenation when it comes to deathcore and just how many bands right now are really channeling this like spirit and aggression into the genre and fit for an autopsy have a case for being one of the best bands right now doing that especially through hellions everything about this song just works so tremendously well it is fast-paced as fuck heavy as fuck it kind of speaks to exactly what I think the aggression sessions really should be embodying, which is just pure fucking chaos. And as the name of the EP is just pure aggression. Um, there are so many twists and turns throughout Hellions where I feel like the band kind of went into this, maybe thinking like, okay, how does, you know, this 30 second stretch surpass the prior 30 second stretch that people might've already thought like, how much fucking heavier can this get? And they somehow managed to do that. And it never feels forced. It never feels gimmicky. Everything about Hellions is just perfect and amazing. And I love it so much. Potentially my favorite fit for an autopsy song I've ever heard, like just, you know, keeping the sack with you guys. And it did wonders in making me more excited to hear what comes out of just not for not uh, fit for an autopsy, but also the artist murder and malevolence on April 7. Side note, sometimes I feel like I'm going to stumble my words whenever I say the artist murder because in my context, my mom's name is the artist mother. So yeah, just a little random tidbit. Brand new single out right now by If I Were You. It is called Ghost. Ghost. <laughs> 
I mentioned 2000s post hardcore briefly when I'm talking about Night Three Feet of Smoke. How about 2000s metalcore here on this song? I was not expecting this at all. Um, I do remember hearing If I Were You's record from 2020 called Radiant Dark. I don't remember anything on it being as impressive or moving to me the way that Ghost is. Just from like immediately once you start hearing the song, that like core progression, that melody, everything about it feels so like uh concurrent with what it is out of that throwback style of metalcore that I really, really look for in this shit. Uh and then once you get to the chorus, just God, like Randy comes across as like one of the most beast vocalists in the scene in that chorus. The whole band feels like they're making a giant point with Ghost. And, you know, kind of what I keep saying over and over again, this is potentially my favorite If I Were You song ever. I I feel like so many times week to week, I say, oh, this is maybe the best song by this band. This is maybe the best song by this band, so on and so forth. I genuinely fucking mean it with If I Were You. I have never been more just in awe of their material the way that I am right now with Ghost. Okay, so I'm going to switch it up a little bit now. This is not my favorite song ever by this band, but it is still immensely fucking good. And it is from Immerse. It is called It's All Good. I found Immerse probably like five years ago, just scrolling the internet, you know, those like rabbit hole type shits where you find some really good bands and then some really not good bands. Uh, Immerse is one of those really good bands I found. Um, they had songs like Glass House and Distant that really pushed uh, like that throwback metalcore style that I am so in, in love with and a simp for. Um, as the years progress, they continue to just, you know, a- amaze me time and time again. With this new single, It's All Good, it is admittedly different from what kind of a sound I primarily associate them with. It is a lot more grounded in like straightforward alternative rock nowadays, but I believe the fact that I love this song so much really speaks to the range and the versatility found within every member of Immerse. The verses have this cadence that it's a little bit hard to explain. It kind of reminds me of like maybe like 90s grunge in some senses, but also maybe I'm just like making that up somehow. Um, but my point is that the verses are so well done and they build up that chorus just immaculately well. And then said chorus has the effectiveness that, you know, like, I feel like bands who get to radio rock or they try to make it to radio rock, this is what they envision their choruses sounding like. This is excellent. I love everything about It's All Good. I think Immerse are in a great spot right now where they've proven, at least to me, and I would hope, uh, you know, a larger audience, that they can be heavy and they can tone it down a little bit when they need to. And no matter which direction they're going in, they're going to succeed. And I really hope that speaks to the future trajectory of this band. There are finally, finally, fucking finally details about the next Veil of Maya album. And alongside those came the brand new single, Red Fur. Red Fur. 
The album is called Mother. It's dropping on May 12th. It was a six-year wait to get a new Veil of Maya album. And considering how the singles rollout has been playing out ever since Synthwave Vegan from last year, and then Into Godhead from a few months ago, a few weeks ago rather, actually, and then Red Fur Now, I think there is something here for not only like dated fans of Veil of Maya, but then those who were, you know, latching onto Matriarch and False Idol. Um, there was a quote from uh, Mark Okobo back in 2020, and I think he said something like, uh, the band feels that remaining heavy is like the move right now. And I understand why. And I have no issue with that given how good I think the singles world has been so far. The initial buildup in the intro to Red Fur, it paints a pretty clear picture about like how futuristic and like technical some of the stuff is going to be. And, you know, mixing that into the artwork for Mother, which is fucking insane. It creates this image for Veil of Maya where the, the sound of Mother matches the aesthetic. And I really, really love it when bands do that. Um, the technicality in the song, the pattern switch ups, and then just like the, uh, the little electron- electronic noises implemented. It's so well done. It's so well crafted. The clean course is among my favorite that Veil of Maya have ever put out. Red Fur is a fucking dub, not just for Veil of Maya or Metalcore, but the scene altogether. And there is this extended level of excitement on Maya now for Mother. There is a brand new single out right now by Taylor Acorn called Certified Depressant. I think it was back when I initially reviewed Misfits by Magnolia Park that I mentioned Taylor because she's featured on that track. And I said there, I didn't know who she was. I know now she is a fucking star, a fucking hooper, for real, for real. Um, certified depressing. It, it kind of finds this, uh, this common ground between pop punk and pop rock. And the way that Taylor is able to navigate those two avenues and mesh them together works perfectly well to her style and her voice and her cadence. It all just ended up being this package that I thought was really, really well done and effective. Um, I, I can't really say enough good things about just the introduction that I've been able to have to Taylor. And I have now feel like I've unlocked this I don't want to say like a hidden gem because people do know who she is. But as far as like what I was aware of prior in comparison to now, I've seemingly found my way to one of my new favorite solo artists. And I think that's fucking sick. The final single that I'm going to detail on comes from Nick Nocturnal and Taylor Barber from Us to Suffer. It's called 578. This one is really, really interesting to me because it was actually made entirely on Nick Nocturnal's Twitch stream. Um, 578 is in reference to literally just the 5th, 7th, and 8th frets on the guitar and how they kind of uh, embody like generic metalcore, if you want to use that term. And 
he kind of crafted this song, I don't want to say as a joke, because it definitely wasn't a joke, but it was kind of just like, a, oh yeah, I'm going to make a, a metalcore song with just 578 and see what happens, and I'll release it on streaming services no matter what at the end of the stream. And he did, and it's actually really, really fucking sick. Um, to me, there was a lot of like 2000s metalcore influence uh, going into this song. So like Trivium and Bullet, um, Kill Switch, Engage, you know, just things like that that I can kind of hear being infused into this song. Um, Taylor Barber, to me, is one of the most impressive vocalists going today in metalcore, deathcore, you know, whatever it is that he is doing. He is sensational in that regard um this was fun to listen to it, it was fun to understand the process that went to the song and then if you go back and you just watch the video of nick nocturnal kind of cutting down the uh the process of making the song on youtube it, it's really fun to see how it all came together um i don't normally speak about nick nocturnal too much on this show and what i will say is that he is somebody who i feel like is doing a lot of good for the scene or just metalcore metal and he's somebody who genuinely and this isn't meant to be like a like a shill or anything like that i'm not like twerking on the tl for this but working with nick nocturnal in some uh manner for content in the future would genuinely be a dream come true these were the remaining singles from last week that i gave either a four or a five two in the reviews on social media alva by a crown of rebellion vain by abyss above lie by astrail Sabotage by Cemetery Sun, Fine by Chemical Youth, Where's My Stimulus by Chemical Youth, Times Like These by Classic Jack, Paralyzed by Colors in the Street featuring The Fame, Terminus by Dead Awake featuring Matt Shanahan, FTS KYS by Drain, Devices by Dwellings, Hindsight by Echosmith, Bloodshot by Ender Shikari, Start a Fire by Framie Hanley, Hollow by Grieve, Golf is On by Hot Mulligan, I See Walking Caskets by Kamiata Plus, Shipwreck by Lonely Spring, Inure by Melancholia, Dial Tones by Outlove featuring Noah Kunain, Cut Bleed Repeat by Project Vengeance, which used to be called The Big Six, Blood Puddle by Sick Brain, Under the Influencer by The Somerset, Brainwashed by Waterparks, We Made Heaven Our Hell by What's Wrong, Don't Wanna Lose by Younger featuring Lucas Magyar from Velamaya, and Like Everyone Else by Zeph. There was actually no single from last week that I gave below a 4-2, so this was actually one of the best weeks so far in the year for singles, and generally, I had difficulty picking number one. Like, conversations, you know, ended up being kind of clear to me in that regard, but, you know, it, it could have been Hellions, it could have been Ghosts, it could have been Taking Back Control. I had these internal debates regularly about what it would be, and that doesn't usually happen, or at least it hasn't happened recently, so yeah, big ups to everybody this week. And now I'll proceed again to the records. There are six of them, so I, this might be the most of the year so far. I don't know off the top of my head, um, or at least for what I'm recording in episode four. I'm going to start off with the debut album by one of the fastest rising and most promising bands to come out of pop punk in a minute, Past, Present, Future by Meet Me at the Altar. This is my first time covering a full project by Meet Me at the Altar, although what I will say is that I actually do remember 
kind of passing up the chance to talk about Model Citizen, which was their 2021 EP. And it was actually the EP that introduced me to Meet Me at the Altar. The reason why I didn't review it was, was because that week I just happened to be like swamped with not just, you know, material to review on this show, but then also personal stuff. I think there were like 12 records that weekend for me to go over. And that was like Trash Boat, uh, Caskets, Lorna Shore, Blackberry might have been that weekend, if I remember correctly. There was a lot going on. And I did, like I said, I passed up the chance to mention Meet Me at the Altar. I wish I hadn't because that would have allowed me the chance to mention this band that would, you know, seemingly just come out of nowhere and take the reins of pop punk in a really big way. As a whole EP, Model Citizen is like godly impressive. And if you had latched onto the sound of Model Citizen, then I feel like I can understand maybe having some disappointment in the material on Past, Present, Future, because the songs from Model Citizen, while they're not really heavy per se, they are notably heavier than anything that is on this album. There's, you know, for sure nothing on here that sounds like Brighter Days or Now or Never, and it's kind of up to you as a fan of Meet Me at the Altar if you'd see that as a good or a bad thing. For myself, I'm not going to really classify it as either, because, like, sure, while a follow-up to Model Citizen that sounds like Model Citizen would have been nice, I cannot sit here and pretend that I don't find the material on Past, Present, Future to just be stupidly catchy and fun. The first single for this record was Say It To My Face, which is also the opening song here, and you guys, whether you know it or not, you've probably heard it before because it has been featured recently on Taco Bell commercials, which just saying that Mimi at the Altar is in a Taco Bell commercial is fucking insane, given again how like at this time two years ago, I had not heard of this band. And I feel like prior to the Taco Bell promotion, there were other people who had never been exposed to Mimi at the Altar before, but now the eyes and the ears of the world are on them. And say to my face, in my opinion, is the exact song that they should have put forth for that kind of exposure. Could it be better lyrically? Sure. And I want to extend that notion to the entire album. Yes, the lyrical content here could have been refined in some ways. But what I've said before, time and time again, not just in regard to pop punk, but every genre that I talk about, I I don't need for you to be groundbreaking or revolutionary or do something like, you know, so innovative to the genre. If you can just take what works for other bands and make it work for yourself, I'm fine with that. So when a band takes a song like Say to My Face and does it as well as they have, I'm not going to be so hung up on, you know, this could have been better, this could have been better on it. It's an excellent song, in my opinion. Um, there's also the song Cool, which a couple weeks ago, maybe just one week or two weeks. I don't know when it was. Time is a, it's a myth, guys. It's not real. Um, Cool is awesome. I fucking love that song. Um, again, it's not doing anything like super, super interesting or exciting. It's very simplistic in its approach. You know, sonically, lyrically, instrumentationally, all that stuff. Instrumentally, not instrumentationally. What the fuck am I doing anymore, man? 
refer to what I said last week about me being on drugs. I'm on drugs right now, guys. So, yeah. Um, I, I really like Cool. I think it's a, you know, adorable little song. I think an element of this record that the band just perfected in a very seamless manner is the choruses. Every single chorus here is catchy. You know, some more than others, sure, but at their cores, every single chorus here is just massive and it's easy to sing along to, easy to tap your foot to. I would imagine that in live settings, these are going to just go insanely hard the way that people are going to be, you know, reverting the lyrics back to the band. Um, same language, TMI, just those songs in a row, having those choruses feels like a cheat code for a band like Meet Me at the Altar. They are able to, you know, switch things up every once in a while. There is a song, A Few Tomorrows, that kind of fuses this acoustic guitar into the already infectious pop melodies within Meet Me in the Altar's work, and it was a winning formula. I think that song is really, really effective. My personal favorite song, at least as of like right now for the album, is Thanks for Nothing, which is way more grounded in just like standard pop than it is pop punk in comparison to the rest of the material here on Past, Present, Future. But the way Meet Me at the Altar can take that song and just have this rhythm to it that reminds me a little bit of uh, Dress by Charlotte Sands, it was so easy for this song to just like seep into my brain and make me forget about whatever might be going on outside of me, outside of these walls, and just allow me to feel the vibrant energy from Meet Me at the Altar. That was the effect that Thanks for Nothing had on me, and I feel grateful for that song's existence, especially right now. I think the song It's Over For Me, it might be like the uh, the closest that you can get to any bit of aggression really being displayed by Meet Me at the Altar. And like, it's not overly aggressive in any manner, but just in comparison to what you might get on like Rocket Science, for example, there's definitely this amplified energy there. If I can say anything, you know, even somewhat negative about this album, aside from the lyrical nature, is the closing song, King of Everything. To me, it doesn't stand out as a closer. It kind of sounds and feels like it could have just been placed anywhere else on the album. And something that I do look for in records is an emphatic closer that really acts as like the exclamation mark on whatever it was the band was trying to convey. And I don't think King of Everything really does a great job at that. It's a fine song, but not a fine closer, if that makes any sense. So coming out of Past, Present, Future... I do feel like the future of Meet Me at the Altar is as bright as it's ever been. They have the sound and the songs and the image to really propel them to, I think, wherever it is that they want to be. And kind of what I said earlier, if you were like so married to the sound and the idea of Model Citizen, then sure, I can understand where there might be a disconnect between yourself and this record. But for myself, this is really, really, really good. I very much so enjoyed Past, Present, Future. I think Meet Me at the Altar have proven why they have the standing in the upper echelon of pop punk that they do. And I am very eager and excited to see 
what what they do from here on out, where this sound takes them, and what they're able to accomplish. Because I don't doubt that it's going to be fucking huge and giant, not just for themselves, but all of the scene. Let me talk about the brand new record out by Periphery right now. It is called Periphery 5, Gent is Not a Genre. Let me get the most obvious thing that I could have an issue with about this record out of the way. It is 70 minutes long. I've said a few times on here before, I don't fuck with long songs. I don't do long songs. So this record being 70 minutes with nine songs, yeah, that looks like it should create a problem within myself. But... And here's where I kind of like uh, acknowledge, not even kind of, I very much so acknowledge hypocrisy on my end when it comes to me being like, oh, no long songs, no long songs, no long songs. Do y'all know what my second favorite album in the history of music is? City of Evil by Avenged Sevenfold. Do you know how long that record is? 72 minutes. It is two minutes longer than Gent is not a genre. So what the fuck am I doing here sitting and bitching about periphery making long songs when I'm, you know, just gassing up Avenged Sevenfold for doing the same shit? And it's not even just Avenged Sevenfold. Like, you don't think I focus on Between the Barrier to me? You don't think I focus on Tool? Because I kind of do. And they be doing the same shit. So why am I going to take this stance against periphery for doing something like this? It makes no sense. And on top of that, too, like, this isn't new. Every Periphery album does this. So I went into this record cycle with the understanding, like, hey, I'm going to talk about an album at some point on my show that is, you know, a a little bit antithetical to what it is that I actually look for when it comes to enjoyment in the scene. Juggernaut's kind of an exception because I think the run times for those are like 39 minutes or something like that, but... It's a double album, so it kind of still falls in alignment with Periphery stuff. And just understand that while I say all this shit, Periphery, time and time again, have still been able to deliver songs that have been able to, like, impact me and stay with me. Like, Scarlet, Insomnia, uh, It's All Smiles. These songs genuinely do mean a lot to me. And also, anybody who listens to Periphery or has at least just, like, heard them before in passing understands how fucking talented this band actually is how amazing they sound how all this time later spencer is still able to carry a vocal melody like nobody else for the extended duration of these songs like that makes the performance aspect of this record even more amazing like the opening song wildfire which was a single beforehand i'm not totally in love with that song because i don't feel like um especially in comparison to some of the other stuff here it doesn't really keep my interest for the seven minutes that it runs but it sounds incredible instrumentally and vocally everything about it speaks to the style of periphery and if you are like a massive fan of the band i would imagine that a song like wildfire opening the album just gets you fucking excited and and for what's still to come. Something that I don't want to be lost in translation when talking about this album is the range and versatility displayed in it. Because while at its core, 
uh, Gentatana Genre is a metalcore album. And, and there are certainly songs here that really, uh, play into that style. Like, um, Everything is Fine or, uh, Zagreus. Zagreus in particular having like this uh, amazing chorus. There are also moments on this album that extend beyond what somebody, uh, you know, who's like an onlooker might think about Periphery. Um, the biggest instance of that is the song Silhouette. The pop nature of Silhouette was like really, um, like out of left field in a way. I wasn't expecting it. And if you had described to me on paper beforehand what Silhouette would remind me of, and that being a mixture of like the 1975's delivery with some undertones of Polyphia from Renaissance, I have no idea like what my brain would have formulated as that having sounded like. But hearing the actual product through Silhouette, this is amazing. And like I said about versatility and range, to me... The biggest takeaway from Gentisana genre is something that I kind of already knew, but having that reminder was necessary. Periphery can do whatever they want to do. They can be whoever they want to be. In the span of these like seven or eight or even 12 minute long tracks, they can just kind of throw in whatever they want to if they think it's going to work. And most of the time it will work. Um, Wax Wings is a big example of that because I feel like there is this giant energy that feels almost like anime OP inspired at certain points. And the second half of that song quiets itself. And I feel like that is where you are shown exactly why some of these songs are as long as they are. Because that extended duration gives Periphery this canvas that only they have the ability to paint. Only they right now, out of every band and scene, can pull off a song like Wax Wings. And if you can make it through the runtime of the album, I think you will be rewarded with some of the coolest sounds you're going to hear anywhere right now in this scene. And again, like I said earlier, I'm sure there are moments here where it does kind of drag and it doesn't feel as complete as it could. Um, the penultimate song, uh, Jacqueline Gra, I think is how you say it. Um, it's 1222. Not really uh, the entire duration of that was I captivated or I felt like this needed to be this long. You know, it kind of does overstay its welcome in that regard. But the song following it, uh, Thanks Nobuo, that song was able to take its 1117 runtime and make the most of it. Every second in that song feels like it was just absolutely necessary to leave the album on as positive of a note as possible. I mentioned with Mimi at the Altars album about how King of Everything, to me, it didn't sound like a closer. It didn't really have enough uh, unique characteristics to differentiate it from the other songs there. With Thanks Nobuo, there was no other place a song could have gone. It feels like this cinematic closer. It feels like the end credits to the album. And to me, like that is exactly what I would be turning to periphery for in any moment. Gent is out of genre, kind of is by the way, but the album itself here, Gent is out of genre, took chances the same way that other periphery albums take chances. And I feel like most of the time it rewarded the listener for sticking with it. And that is what needed to happen here. Periphery took this album 
and just crafted some of the coolest moments you can get anywhere in the scene right now. And if you can make it through this duration that the project here is not a genre extends, I feel like you'll be satisfied. Like I really, really do. We have the debut EP out by Maybe Someday, Love's Not Lost. So I actually did not know before last week that the CP was dropping and I feel like that's my fault there because I have said whenever talking about maybe someday on the show that I am tapped in and I am like so attached to this band in a way that is hard to explain. And the reason why it's hard to explain I feel like is because the sound that is present here within not just this EP, Love's Not Lost, but all of Maybe Someday's discography altogether, you kind of maybe had to have been into metalcore and post-hardcore towards the end of 2000 to like really, really have the taste that is needed to uh, become adjusted to the style of Maybe Someday. What they are doing right now, it speaks to that teenage kid within me who was on MySpace every day listening to The Devil Wears Prada and Alasana and A Skylight Drive. Like, that is a style of music that is kind of lost nowadays and maybe for the better. Like, you know, maybe it's okay that most bands who embodied that sound at one point don't anymore. But selfishly, I still love that nostalgic element whenever a band like Maybe Someday can give it to me and not just give it to me, but give it to me as fucking well as they do. Uh, their first single back in 2021, Without Warning, like that song made it to where I could never turn away from them. Like they were always going to have a place in my brain whenever it came to finding material to talk about on this show. And then that continued on through Torn and Set Myself on Fire and Under the Surface, which ended up being on this EP, Under the Surface had one of the biggest courses I heard all of last year. And I feel like that extends to this year as well, because there's a song on here, Zombie, featuring Kellen Quinn from Sleeping of Sirens. And I kind of remember talking about that single on the show two months ago and saying that hearing Kellen once again in this realm screaming the way he does, that really, really did mean a lot to me. And altogether, Zombie is an amazing song. I don't care how many times I hear it on my For You page whenever I open TikTok, that song fucking bangs and it always will. There are two other songs here, I've Been Waiting and the title track for Love's Not Lost, which features Lizzie Christina from Not Enough Space. Something that kind of jumped out to me when hearing those two songs was how much I appreciate and value the production quality on the album, or the EP rather. And that might sound like um, sarcastic or backhanded in a way, because really, the production is not great. It definitely sounds like DIY type shit. But that's kind of what this sound predominantly resembled back in the 2000s. 
So it kind of has this extra layer of authenticity when it comes to resembling that style of metalcore and post-hardcore. Um, everything about these songs, like the, the structure to them, again, the production, the way Montana's voice sounds, it all just like invigorates that necessity on my end for getting a project like this every once in a while. It's made special that way because again, it doesn't happen often. So having Love's Not Lost here right now with me, I really, really enjoy this. The only like, I don't even want to call it a misstep because I like the song, but the intro song, Time Shift, it's primarily acoustic. And to me, I, I'm such a merchant for 2000s Metalcore that I probably would have been happier taking another song that sounds like Zombie or I've Been Waiting instead of Time Shift. But again, I still do enjoy that song, so I'm not going to give the band any kind of like flack for that stuff. Um, I love this EP. I absolutely adore it. I feel like I've only like grown to love it more since I first heard it, which is astounding because I already gave it like a nine or whatever I did. This EP is like vibrating my soul right now and i don't know the accessibility that this can have for somebody who wasn't into the scene at that time but if what i mentioned earlier about devil's prada alisana skylight drive and then i'll even throw in like the color morale or uh, we came as romans from that specific era if any of that sounds like something you're into if that sounds like your shit then you know what so will love's not lost and so will maybe someday story of the year are back brand new record tear me to pieces I suppose this is the most appropriate way to follow up the Maybe Someday discussion because talking about Story of the Year gives me another opening to just go on and on and waffle about how the scene was when I was a kid. Um, Do y'all know about Page Avenue? Like, for real, for real, genuine question. Have you guys listened to Page Avenue before? Page Avenue is one of... The most important records from my childhood, it is an album that 20 years later has been able to age incredibly well, and it's the the kind of album that if it comes up in shuffle, I just, I I can't help it. Like, And the Hero Will Drown, uh, Till the Day I Die, like, those songs mean as much to me now to this day as they did when I was eight or nine years old, downloading them on LimeWire, probably with some viruses and shit. Like, Page Avenue is everything that I could ask for 2000s post-hardcore to embody and encapsulate. The rest of the discography of Story of the Year afterwards, though, up and down, hit or miss, I don't think so highly of In the Wake of Determination, whereas The Black Swan, I am almost inclined to put it against page avenue it's not better than page avenue at all but the black swan is like as close to perfection as a record can come from a band that has achieved perfection before if that makes any sense 
Um, I think the content is fine. Wolves from 2017. I heard it one time back when it dropped. I, I think it was like really late in the year, like a December album. And it did nothing for me. Like it just, I don't, I don't want to call it bad or anything like that because it, it, it wasn't bad, but very, very, very unmemorable and unremarkable. But because of the report that Story of the Year had already built myself through their older material, they kind of have been solidified as a band where no matter what they do, what they sound like, I am going to give them the time of the day because I feel like they have earned that. The rollout for Tear Me to Pieces began with Story of the Year signing with Sharptone. Um, okay. That's cool. I don't really get it because before hearing that album, I thought story of the year don't really fit with what I perceive to be the image or the sound of sharp tone. And then after hearing the record, I still feel that way. I still feel like this album acts as, or I guess the band altogether acts as like the oddball out in a way for sharp tone. But you know, it happened is what it is. That's fine. And I'm pretty sure that when the Sharp Tone move happened, they also had the single Real Life out at the time. Real Life has no fucking business being as good as it is. And part of why I say no business is because this song is quite opposite of like what I think of when I, in my head, envision the quintessential song or the quintessential style for story of the year. Real life is not at all heavy. It has none of those post-hardcore undertones from Page Avenue. It's very much so like a pop rock inspired song, but I think it's incredible. I think real life had one of the biggest choruses from last year that I did not gas up enough. Real life is amazing. There were a few more singles thereafter, Tear Me to Pieces and Take the Ride. I think those two songs kind of, um, they act a little bit closer to the older 2000s style of Story of the Year. Um, just never really going into like as full of a gear as they potentially could have. But I think they still work out tremendously well in that regard. And they're still able to like ramp up the energy and the aggression of the album just a little bit, just enough for me to be able to acknowledge the homage that Story of the Year are paying to their older stuff. Um, the single War. I wasn't so high on it as a single, and then hearing it in the context of Tear Me to Pieces, it's still does not have that uh, the same emphatic nature as any of the prior singles. It kind of just feels like I understand what it's going for, but the delivery is not there. The execution is not there. The production somehow is also not there. It just, it has these good ideas, but without a real understanding of how to bring them together. The final single before the album release was 2005 and I feel like if somebody told me they don't like 2005, I would get it and I would understand why. For myself personally though, 2005 is the exact kind of like a laid back rock song with pop undertones that 
I can be invigorated by. 2005 is such a good song, in my opinion. Aside from War, the only other song that, like, really did nothing to impress me was Use Me, which is the closing song, so that does, um, like, eliminate some of the potential enjoyment I could have had coming out of the album. I like the direction of Use Me, and especially lyrically, I think there's a lot that the song had to say and offer, but it's delivered in this what sounds like a half-assed acoustic song, and I, I can't fully get behind that, so I don't think the album closed as strongly as it could have. It didn't close as strong as it opens, because opening with that three-song stretch of Tear Me to Pieces, Real Life, and Afterglow is so OP. Dead and Gone is the kind of song where I, I probably enjoy it less than some of the other things here, but the ideas are there and I can still hear what story they were going for in terms of like finding a sound that captures, you know, some aggression. And in that sense, I think Dead and Gone is still fine. Um, towards the end of the tracklist, there is Knives Out, which potentially might be my favorite song on the record. The chorus of Knives Out is so catchy and, and it sounds so inspired, especially coming after, um, you know, a little bit of a heavier pre-chorus. Knives Out felt like story of the year kind of taking what works for them right now and then what worked for them in the past and finding the right balance in marriage. As a whole album, I do have some gripes with Tear Me to Pieces and some directional choices that do leave me feeling like this album is going to exist kind of in the middle ground when it comes to story of the year's discography but the middle ground is not at all the floor for where this band has been in comparison to where they were out on wolves for example you know they're not the same band that made page avenue or even the black swan but they still have a place in the scene i think they can still put out quality material, songs that are going to be able to have this lasting effect on me. Like, Real Life and Knives Out, they're going to remain with me for a very long time. I really do believe that. Tear Me to Pieces was a fine enough album for Story of the Year to kind of find their footing in again. And, you know, th this band's not going to suddenly be, you know, selling out arenas or, like, having these giant headlining bills at this stage of their careers. But... I would imagine that's not really the goal. The goal right now for them probably is to just be an act and have consistency in their music and an audience that will listen to them. And I think they have all those things. Brand new record out right now by For the Fallen Dreams. It is their self-titled release. Yes, more nostalgic stuff, more throwback stuff, more throwback discussions, because For the Fallen Dreams is one of the not oldest bands I've talked about recently, but one of the most, um, I guess, storied bands, because this uh, is their seventh album, the self-titled. They've been around for, like, well, almost two decades now, I believe, and they were the kind of band who, like when I was in high school, I was hearing about and reading about and finding on MySpace, YouTube, whatever it was. And I, I guess for that reason, there is a like 
particular sound that I associate for the fallen dreams with that they do not embody right now and they have not embodied for a while. Because whenever I hear the name for the fallen dreams, I still think of changes and relentless and backburner. But in the same vein as many of their contemporaries, the band has shifted into a different direction. And just keep in mind, this is their first album in five years. And then even before that, they had a four-year gap between Heavy Hearts and Six. Six, I kind of want to say I do believe is the best that For the Fallen Dreams have ever sounded. I know I just said that I associate their sound and name with a different era, but just in terms of like what they were able to do with the moving pieces of Six, I thought that might have been the band at their strongest, especially on the opening song there, Stone. Potentially my favorite For the Fallen Dreams song to this day. Coming into the cycle for this self-titled, I really, really did not have like the the clearest of expectations for what I was going to get because I think the singles kind of worked in some ways to the detriment of the band, not ultimately because I think in the context of the album, all five singles work much better than they did on their own. But hearing songs last year like What If and Sulfate and Reanimate, I kind of thought like, okay, where is this going? Because I just felt like maybe taking the band's style and having this polished production on it and in some ways like a, a little bit of futuristic notions and vibes being thrown in, I didn't know what the end result was going to be. Getting into the album last week though, what I just said about reanimate and what if and how like I didn't fully know what the album would sound like. Just for whatever reason, those two songs being the opening tracks here, they make a lot more sense in this package than they did as singles, which I just alluded to. There is a stretch thereafter of Last One Out, Without You, and Testify. Hearing those songs in succession of each other, the thing that stood out to me was just how complete these choruses sound and how like ready they come across for radio and arenas. And I have no idea if For the Fallen Dreams put this record together with that being the mindset or the intention, but it is a byproduct of what they were able to accomplish. At least that's how I see it. The like magnum opus, if you will, of the record, I think is the seventh song, Super Personal. I said earlier that Stone might be my favorite for the Fallen Dream song. Super Personal is right there. There is something about that song's delivery and how the verses build up that chorus. And I know I keep saying choruses when talking about this record. They're just massive. And Super Personals might be the best instance of that. Actually, not even might be. I think it is. It is so goddamn immensely catchy. It is so easy for me to just get lost in. Uh, imagine like a live setting and having the crowd sing that whole chorus back to For the Fallen Dreams. It is the just biggest achievement on this album, in my opinion. I think the style and sound that was crafted here on this self-titled record 
the band never lost sight of it as they progressed through the track listing because you know what i mentioned about giant courses and all that shit and no heaven it is just as emblematic of that as any other song i think lavender kind of shows how the band is able to retain all of those really favorable elements even when trying to pursue a heavier style for themselves and then the closing song chemicals i think is the best way to kind of um like summarize what the album was going for and what it achieved and in that sense chemicals acts as one of the highlights of the album an album that i think coming out of it had nothing but highlights i really thoroughly enjoyed this album much more than i thought i was going to because going into the rollout for it like i said the singles i didn't know how they were going to come across as a complete package and it turns out that that complete package is one of the most accomplished pieces ever put forth by fully falling dreams and if they're the kind of band that you might have like fallen off with I think you're going to have a really, really easy time digesting this material and getting back into the fold with For the Fallen Dreams. And for the final record of the episode, I will be looking at Flesh and Blood by Judiciary. So before last week, I had heard of Judiciary before, and potentially I might have heard a song of theirs in passing, but I hadn't had like my attention focused on them before getting to listen to Flesh and Blood. Um, they did have a record out back in 2019 called Surface Noise, and I did listen to it after getting through Flesh and Blood, and that record has this really cool like a DIY aesthetic type of a sound going for its hardcore tones. And something that I was able to take from that and compare it to flesh and blood is just like how polished and complete this record sounds in comparison. I, I do like what they were doing on surface noise. I think it's a great hardcore album, but flesh and blood feels like a potential breakthrough record in terms of like what it can do for not even just hardcore but also metalcore because there is a lot of that going on here um judiciary they're actually from a, a city in texas called lubbock so there is like I, I guess a little bit of bias or favor uh, on my end because i do try to you know give flowers to the texas bands that be doing it big and right now judiciary are doing it fucking monstrously so because I didn't have like this extensive knowledge of the band beforehand, I can't sit here and say like, you know, oh, this single had me feeling this way. This part of the rollout was really cool because I wasn't there for the rollout. Uh, but I, I feel like if I was, the level of adoration that I was able to obtain for this record, that would have been made so apparent to me through the singles rollout that had engulfed uh, Paradigm Piercer and Knife in the Dirt. And I'll get to those uh, momentarily, but just kind of look at the record uh, from the moment it starts to the moment it finishes because this whole thing is a gargantuan journey. Um, the opening song, Flesh, it has this really ominous feel that I think is able to take the elements of hardcore and metalcore and give them this somewhat unique spin and i say somewhat unique because there are other bands like dying wish who i feel like have done similar things before 
but judiciary, it, it doesn't take away how they're able to do it. And that like real brooding sense, it creates this daunting atmosphere that stays with the listener through the entire album. Um, the second song, Blood, it, it really does a great job at like keeping the pacing and the energy going that was established on Flesh. Um, Engulf's section with a guitar solo, it kind of reminds me of like 2000s metalcore. And at, at that point, I'm able to register how much of this album is speaking to me in a nostalgic sense and then how much of it is able to like let me know that Judiciary have the potential capability of making a case of themselves as being like a pillar act moving forward for both hardcore and metalcore um songs like stare into the sun and knife in the dirt are great examples of how a song on this album just like you know with seemingly no regard throws the listener into the deep end immediately from the start and just starts fucking battering your head in with all of these tones going on to kind of uh, expand upon what I'm talking about with Staring to the Sun, because I feel like that might be my favorite record or my favorite song of the record as of right now. What that song can do is kind of create these really memorable moments by adding in like somewhat oddly structured patterns in the riffage. And it was an element that was able to kind of stay within my brain after hearing Flesh and Blood for the first time and then going back to Staring to the Sun. It was like th this realization of just like how great Judiciary are at crafting songs within this style. And that, you know, riffage pattern was enough to like really keep things exciting. Um, Cobalt has a section near the end that feels like a sequel or like an extension to what i'm talking about with the riffage of staring to the sun like that little moment comes back into the album later on and i think that is really really sick the song obsidian it, it gives more of those nostalgic elements of 2000s metalcore and kind of what i said earlier like it, it feels like a throwback in some ways but it also feels like the progression of the genres and i, I really really admire that about what flesh and blood is able to do um the closing song and i hope i'm saying this correctly Eschados Emera, it introduces clean singing that feels like it's the perfect way to lead into the outro that sounds so apoplectic and, and as if the album is kind of like uh, unraveling itself in a way. And I really, really love it when bands with this sound can do that and when they can do it as well as Judiciary. And I want to extend that notion as well as Judiciary to not just the way the outro sounds, but just about every single element on this record. This is one of the best albums from Metalcore slash Hardcore that I've heard in a while. It is one of the best records so far this year, in my opinion. And it is the kind of album that if you have no exposure to Judiciary and you choose this to be your intro they are going to leave a remarkable impression on you. And that's it. That was every single EP and album from last week for me to review. I do believe this was the most packed episode in terms of material to get through. And I don't know how long it's going to be once the uh, the whole thing's put together. So if it's like close to an hour, I guess I'm sorry. But at the same time, I really, really needed to cook. So thank you for your understanding. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and 
as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene. 